Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to episode 354 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to TV to studio films to documentaries to animation and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to F it up, in our very, very humble opinion. I'm Giles Alderson, I'm a writer, director and producer, and if you're feeling kind, uh, go watch and support my movies, Three Day Millionaire, which is on Netflix, The Stranger in Our Bed, Wolves of War, Repeat, and A Serial Killer's Guide to Life, which are all on Amazon and Sky right now. If you want to support, do so. On today's episode, myself and Dom Lenoir sat down with Matthew Lopez, the director of the smash hit Amazon feature film Red, White and Royal Blue. On the episode, Matthew Lopez talks about why he chose this story for his debut movie, how he pitched to the studios and why he's not talking about writing on this episode. We also talk about how he chose his DP and cast. He talks location, shot lists and preparation. And if he didn't do a moving master shot first, he got in trouble. We also talk about directing stars and why actors coming in off book is so time-saving. And we discuss why you don't need to cut each time, how he shot UK for the USA and why he loved editing Red, White and Royal Blue. So Matthew Lopez, for those of you who don't know, he's an American playwright and screenwriter. His play, The Inheritance, which was directed by Stephen Daldry, um, was a huge, huge hit uh, when it opened in 2018 and it transferred to the West End and on Broadway. And it won the Tony Awards, Olivia Awards, Evening Standard, London Critics Circle Awards, among many others. And he's the first Latino writer to win the Tony Award for Best Play. He also co-wrote the book for the musical adaptation of the classic film Some Like It Hot. And he has also written on the TV show The Newsroom. But this is his debut movie as a screenwriter and a director. Now, Red, White and Royal Blue is a ridiculously fun uh, feature where enemies become lovers. It's a rather slick gay romance story starring Nicholas Galitzine and Taylor Zakhar Perez as the two leads, but it also stars Uma Thurman and Stephen Fry, who has been on this podcast, by the way, um, just type in Stephen Fry, Filmmaker's Podcast, on the internet and it will come up. 
and you'll be able to listen to him brilliantly telling us about filmmaking and acting. It's superb. I'll try and put a link in the show notes as well. Um, Red, White and Royal Blue is available on Amazon now. Check it out. It is really fun and sometimes you need that light-heartedness to take away from all the crap that is happening in the world or in your filmmaking lives right now. I know how difficult it can be. Not everyone is making movies all the time and it can get depressing when we're in the middle of that period where we don't know what's happening next, especially right now. In the middle of the SAG strike, the Writers Guild of America strike, it's probably put a lot of your projects on hold and that can get you down. So try and be inspired. Try not to let it, but it does. It's okay to wallow for a moment, but come out the other end stronger. Come out the other end fighting for you and your projects and what you believe in. And if that means you're doing something to make that happen, if you can, because we do stand by the Writers Guild of America strike that is happening right now and the SAG strike. But that doesn't mean you can't think about it. That doesn't mean you can't get in the right headspace for you to go and make your film. Shout outs on this week's podcast go to Michael J. Long, Ben Treblecook, Simeon Willis, Catherine Georgiou, Nina Christofferson, and Teresa Godley for all supporting the podcast massively this week and giving us retweets and likes and shares, etc. You want your name read out on the Filmmakers Podcast? Do the same. Our Twitter is at Filmmakers Pod or Instagram, The Filmmakers Pod, or go to our website, The Filmmakers Podcast, where we have a back catalogue of over 350 episodes on making films. So if there's something specific you want, whether it's cinematography or editing or screenwriting, just type that into the search bar on the podcast page and you will find it. There's so many on how you can do it. Boland's Shoes, uh, the feature film produced by Terry Dwyer and directed by Ian Paulson Davies, will be released on September the 15th. That's literally three weeks away. And uh, episodes coming up next week and the week after for you is Josh Greenbaum, who directed The Strays. You might have seen the trailers for this doggy comedy, filthy doggy comedy. Um, (laughs) Yes, and there is some dogging involved. (laughs) You're going to love that episode. And also Oliver Krimpas, his film Around the Sun, uh, which is in cinemas in Australia now and on Amazon around the world. Do go support both of those people, uh, Josh Greenbaum and Oliver Krimpas, will be on the podcast in the next couple of weeks. Right, let's get to it. This is myself and Dom Lenoir chatting with the rather brilliant Matthew Lopez all about his career and making red, white and royal blue. Oh, just so you know, we jumped straight into the podcast. There's no hellos here. Well, we did do them, but we start talking straight away about sound. Um, so there you go. Straight into it. Enjoy. I'm amazed at how many things that I knew were just going to be ruined by sound on set, yeah. by an airplane or a car horn or whatever. And, and then I, you know, it get into post to my sound engineers. Oh, yeah, that's not a problem. That's not a problem. Like we had like my, we had this one scene where we're, there's a, a, a smallish techno crane coming down and it was making such a racket as it was coming down. And, and, and I'm like, we are never, wait, this is an entire scene of dialogue. How are we? And, and my sound, my sound goes like, yeah, not worried, not worried about it at all. And I was like, I, I suppose it depends which kind of sound it is, isn't it? Whether they can remove that. I suppose if it's in the same bandwidth as like a voice, it's going to be harder to remove. Yeah. I despaired over the sound of this film ever like actually working yeah. <laughs> because you're just acutely mm. aware of every little noise that goes on in, yeah. in the background of every scene. Mm. And if, if, if I ever once barked at anybody, it was because they were making a noise, you know? If, yeah. If, I'm just like, who's doing that? Have you ever become aware of like the lip smack noise? 
uh, I, I became <gasps> yes. I, worked, so I, was, I was working with like a really high end like sound sound guy and they're like we've got we've got a, a lips de smacker software a lip de smacker the... like, subscription for it yeah, the... and they're like yeah. but you've got to remove like a certain number because if you remove too many it doesn't sound normal so it's like how, how many lip smacks do you do you keep in your your final mix yeah, I do remember there's this one scene in the in the movie where where um where Nick Galdzian is, is like proudly showing off his tie and mm-hmm. there's this great take that we had and I'm watching tie. it and he's like he's like do you like my tie and he's like hitting it and he's just hitting his mic and it's just like from, from, from. and I'm like oh my god oh my can god. you please not touch your tire yeah, yeah. can you touch not touch your mic you understand why like those older Italian films they just didn't even bother with sound yeah right yeah. they just they were like you know we're gonna get it all in, in post and yeah. like yeah. like I prefer the naturalistic sound but mm. what they could do like you could actually like maybe try and get away with that mm. but well, if you listen to some of those old movies now the echo on them the boom was clearly yeah. in the corner of the room yeah, yeah and we totally accepted it it was yeah. never an issue yeah. but now we're like we're so we've heard it so brilliantly yeah, yeah. but i also think audiences have changed because of youtube and because of social media they're now hearing it in a totally they're used to someone filming on the phone they're used to bad sound yeah look at covid you know when yeah, suddenly yeah. the news reports and stuff people were just accepting it no one really complained mm. but we all went oh my oh god, my god. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's i mean terrible. i am acutely aware of the fact that we spent all this care all this time and, mm. and and not a small amount of money making this movie mm. that some people will watch on their iphones yeah with yeah. just yep. not even like headphones mm-hmm. in, but just I like know, the sound yeah. coming the tinny sound coming out yeah. and i and and it does uh, upset me sometimes my and i you know the, the <laughs> thought of it was really really uh, upsetting to me and my my 78 year old legendary cinematographer stephen goldblatt mm. he's like let them watch it on their phones just yeah. let them watch it on yeah. their phones and i was like all right stephen if you're yeah. cool with it i'm cool with it yeah and that's just that thing we do as have as to accept happy. it yes and that's it as long as people yeah. are watching it Right. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah. This is. I am not joking. I once was on the subway in New York City, and I looked over and I watched someone. I am not making this up. They were, (laughs) they were watching Lawrence of Arabia Uh, on their phone, and mm. I was like, that. There, Mm. look, it should be laws against. There should be laws against. Like, I, I honestly, there's not much Congress can do, but surely Mm. we can pass a law prohibiting (laughs) anyone from watching Lawrence of Arabia. That's what they should be lobbying for. Yeah, Yeah. but I was like, I was like, well, you know, it's a long movie. And, you know, yeah. get it done on the commute. Yeah. And they'd obviously been told, why haven't you ever watched it? You should watch this movie. And yeah. they went, oh, well, I'll watch Could it on I'll my commute. It on, I'll watch it. Yeah, 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 and they're probably commute. literally in those big wide shots. The, well, they they then, won't be able to see well, anything. And then, you know, it's letterboxed. So it's like even small. It's not even fill the screen, yeah. you know. And um, They're not, they're not going to hear that. When, when the match goes out on, a, mm. on an iPhone, yeah, the sound will be terrible. But you know yeah. what? Maybe he loves subway. it. Maybe he loves it. Maybe yeah, maybe they do. But yes, it is interesting, isn't it? How we. These type of things we care so much about. So Stephen Goldblatt is like, just let it be. Let, let it, it be. be. Let it and, be. And actually, we have to. Yeah, yeah. We have to let it be. How does it, I like to say, this is your debut movie, right? You've written so much. You've been in this industry a long time, plays-wise. But in terms of you as a director, like your debut movie, yeah. like right now, you seem really excited, really happy that the movie's coming out and the screenings today. Yeah. How does it feel? Coming from theater, yeah. um, I know that the the degree to which this movie can reach people in terms of sheer numbers mm-hmm. it, it is not even comparable like more people watch the trailer to this movie than have ever seen any production of all of my plays combined wow. in my entire career that's just the 2 minute trailer right mm-hmm. so like the order of magnitude is so great 
uh, and the scale, the upscale of it is so great that I can barely even make sense of it in my mind that like, it's going to be in 240 countries that it's going to be available um, to millions of millions and tens of millions of people mm -hmm. instantaneously. Um, that is really exciting. It's also, I think there's something good about being a filmmaker too, in some ways where, where you're very, uh, Obviously, I'm very attached to the film. I'm very proud of the film. It's very personal. Uh, I've worked, I spent two and a half years working on it. But you're also acutely aware of the fact that it is not yours, right? It mm. belongs to the studio. Yeah. It's not my, I do not own it. Unlike mm. my plays, which I are legal property that I own, my, this movie is only mine in terms of my, my, my stamp on it. My fingerprints are all over it, but it isn't mine. So it, that actually helps separate. At the end of the day, I can always tell myself it's a job. Mm. And, okay. and I can calm myself with that, right? Yes. It's hard to do because, you know, I take pride in, in the work that I do and, mm. and, and, and all that. But yeah, you, you, you just, I, I know enough to just know that I just need to relinquish it and mm. hand it over and, and it will be what it is. Yeah. Mm. I suppose, okay. it, I suppose it's, it is a difficult process, isn't it? Because you're, on the one hand, you want to hear what everyone thinks. And then there's also do the, I? the audience. I don't know. There's a sort of the <laughs> audience. I, I might disagree with that. I don't know if I do need to hear what everybody thinks. Um, <laughs> out of sight, out of mind. I, yeah. I, do, I, I go on ignorance is bliss. Like, honestly, mm. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I am not one of these people who go instantly. I, I worked on, on my play, The Inheritance, for many, many years. And Justin Martin, who was the associate director, who's a director in his own right, um, he would instantly, as soon as the curtain go down, he'd go on, on Twitter. And he just wanted uh, yeah. to read what everyone yeah. was writing no, on Twitter. Fuck, no, and I was no, like, no, Justin, you are crazy. Why are you doing that? And like, I don't want to know. I like the weekend this movie comes out, like good luck finding me in the world, let alone on Insta yeah. on, on Instagram or social media. Cause yeah. I just like, it's none of my business. It's yeah. actually not what people think of my work mm -hmm. is actually none of my business. It's my business insofar as it, it influences my ability to do more work. Like yes. the overall my picture, career yeah. Mm, yeah. is one thing. Mm. My life is another. And when it, it concerns my life, like I, it's it, none of my business what people think of my movie pro or con. And, and, and you know, any kind of review is objective at the end of the day. So really, I suppose it's about focusing on you know, a story that you care about yeah. with, you know, the, everyone in the team making the best mm. thing you can. And if you've yeah. done that, that's really the most important part. If you can send it, it's the same with the play. It's just, it, I mean, I learned this in years of theater. If you can put it out there, proud of what it is. If you know that you have done mm. good work on it, that you've done the best work that you can on it, that everybody who came into the process put their best work into it, then, you know, what more can you possibly ask? I mean, there are plenty of great movies that were not appreciated in their time. And Very there true. are a yeah. bunch of terrible movies that mm. were beloved in its time. And, and so, it, again, it's just sort of like... Do I stand by the work? Yes. Am I proud of it? Yes. Am I ready to release it into the world? Yes. Mm. And then it's gone for me, yeah. you know? And I think there's something really nice about that. Like, Definitely. I just, yeah. you know, it, it isn't mine. enjoy the premiere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, but there is actually really something lovely about it. I think as filmmakers, we can sometimes get bogged down in it and start worrying about reviews and worrying about what people think. And you get obsessed and get lost yeah. in that i've heard so many filmmakers say that to me yeah. you have to let go and you have to let go and i love what you said there and it, i think it's so inspiring for so many filmmakers listening that sort of going actually it's not mine anymore it's not my no trust me we're sitting here on the day that the the review uh embargo is lifted uh, okay. so like they're okay. there i don't uh, part of my brain today is on rotten tomatoes right mm. right like do yeah. not get me wrong 
I am like part of my brain is there, right? And I'm like, I don't want, I I invoke it now to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And as I'm doing it, my stomach juices are churning and I'm getting very, very (laughs) nervous talking about it. And, and like, I'm looking over at my assistant on his computer and Mm -hmm. I'm convinced that he's on Rotten Tomatoes right now. Uh, 100%, right? Even though we made a pact not to look at it today. His his denial wasn't very very believable. But, but... Obviously, you mm-hmm. think about that, and obviously, yeah. you want yeah. you know. But from my for my like you know, I just I can't I I, I will yeah. get a sense, and that's that's so, it. So yeah. going going from this point where it's out there now, how do we go back right to the beginning of mm-hmm. how you got attached to this project, how you sort of started to get it made? So it was t- early 2020. It was just before the pandemic. Those blissful days when we had no idea what was coming to us. Um, <laughs> I had just opened The Inheritance on Broadway, and I was very actively looking for a film to make. I was like, it was time to make a movie. Mm-hmm. And I was reading a bunch of things. I was, you know, and I had a couple of projects that maybe was going to happen, maybe not going to happen. And I read this, my agent sent me this book, and um, I fell in love with it. Like, instantaneously, I fell in love with the characters. I fell in love with the world. And I just knew, like, it just, it's just, you just know. And I, I, I just, I, so from very early on, I like page 50, I like to say, I just wanted, I knew I wanted to make this movie. And so I pursued, I, I, it turns out that, um, Greg Berlanti, who is the producer of the film, had mm-hmm. the rights. He was also a producer of The Inheritance on Broadway. Oh my God. So ah. I called Greg and I was like, Dude. why haven't you called me already about yeah. this thing? <laughs> and Greg was Come like, on, well, Greg. I didn't think it would be, well, because like The Inheritance is like, you know, serious and seven hours and about about aids and hiv and 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 you know couldn't be further from from this this thing and he actually said i didn't think that this would be your thing and i was like it's two boys in love like what isn't this this how is this my thing um so i really pursued this um this gig and i let it be known that i didn't just want to write it. I wanted to direct it. I wanted to make this movie like soup to nuts. I wanted this to be my directorial debut. And so after quite a bit of like time passing, eventually it all sort of came a year almost. Okay. And And that's you pitching during that time. uh, Well, that is just me. That's COVID too. So like who the hell knows? And I'm sure there was like this big period of time where like, nope, nothing was going on. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it was just before Christmas. It was actually, I think it was, I don't know why I remember this. It was December 21st, 2020. And I got an email from my agent saying, you'll never guess what just sort of landed in your lap today. Merry Christmas. Oh my gosh. And it was an email from Greg and Sarah, my producers saying, do you, you want to, you want to start working on this with us? And so uh, I was like, yeah. And, and, you know, from there we were off to the races. So. And during that time, had you, how much had you pitched? How much had you shown? Nothing, nothing, nothing at all. Nothing. I just, again, like when we started this conversation, I just put it out in the world and I let go of it. And I did other things. Like I spent, I spent 2020 writing other movies. I spent Mm -hmm. 2020 um, doing a lot of different things, crying and (laughs) eating too much (laughs) ice cream and like the rest of us. And, and, I actually forgot about it, you know, mm. like, uh, which is often the best way is like yeah. actually to put it out your mind, do that initial, like, right, I'm, I'm going to do this. This mm. is my, I'm throwing myself into the mixer I think so. and then just put it out of mind. And then it's like, you know, it, your, your prior relationships with, with Greg, et cetera, yeah. and your pitch, sometimes that's enough and just the time it, yeah. it just comes to you. Yeah. Yeah. And so then, and then after the new year in 2021, I met with the studio and I pitched them my idea and I pitched myself as I, I let it be known I wanted to direct it. Mm-hmm. And we just, you know, uh, the approval process started and 
that, that, you know, two and a half years later, here we are. And what, what was the process once the studio came on board in terms of like where the script was before and maybe how they wanted to, like what was their take versus your take? Because of the writer's strike. I am not going to talk about anything, and and you, I'm fine with this staying in the podcast. This mm-hmm, answer, cool. which is, um, you know what, I'm I'm here as the director of this film, uh, okay. and as the sure. writer of this film, I'm on strike. Okay, cool, great, and we're fully supporting that. Like we did a full podcast about the right strike and what we believe yeah. with that. So I'm, yeah, fully, I am here that. as the director of the movie, and the writer, unfortunately, couldn't make it today. Yes, he's on <laughs> he's, strike. He's, he's on strike. Yeah, he's got his petition board <laughs> up. And yeah, absolutely. And that's okay. So directing side of it, how did you prepare mm-hmm. going into this? Because yeah. you know you've got the script now. Yeah, uh, you're, you're happy with it. Yeah. Now you've got to work out how you're going to actually direct this and shoot it so you you bring your dp on board talk us through that process for you the first thing i knew about this film which is it it sounds really too broad in general to be of any use Mm -hmm. um practically but i just i knew that i didn't want this movie to look feel or be disposable even though we're doing a rom-com even though we're doing a rom-com with with a potentially ludicrous premise Mm -hmm. beautifully ludicrous premise for sure in the uh, same way that a richard curtis movie has a beautifully ludicrous, agree uh, a ludicrous yeah. premise. um i i just wanted to make sure that the movie felt grounded i didn't want to get i didn't want to sort of run a ground on the shoals of 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 too much too much sort of rom-com too much mm. um young people in love mm. um it's what caused me to cast a little older than than people assume that characters are from the novel. I needed this film to to not den- to in any way deny what it is, which is a love story. It's a romance. It's a romantic mm-hmm. comedy, um, but it is one that is set in the Oval Office of the White House, and it is yeah. in Buckingham Palace. Mm-hmm. And there's these 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 amazing potential locations that we had at our disposal. And mm-hmm. it's one of the reasons I wanted to make the film. And so when I started looking for, for a DP, I was mostly looking for someone who had experience with bigger films and by bigger, I didn't necessarily, it doesn't need to be avatar, right? But it mm-hmm. needs to be someone who knows how to bring a kind of a, a, a depth to the, to the film. And is that, is so you were talking about the cinematography. Is it also the characters? Cause you were sort of talking about like rom-com tropes. Yeah. Is it like the three dimensional level of the characters as well as the cinematography? That's like the, the grounding. Yeah. Thing? I mean, I was looking for, for, for actors for this. Like mm-hmm. I, 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 I would, I went into this thing saying, you know, I want, Actors who may become movie stars as a result of this thing, you know, mm-hmm. I don't want movie stars that um, maybe are sort of questionable acting maybe skills. Become actors, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I, I, I needed. I know what direction I wanted to, to go, and so you know, with um, with Nicholas and Taylor, I, I got mm-hmm. that. You know, I mean, those those two are just so like before they are anything. I mean, they've got matinee idol looks. They they are mm-hmm. they are primed for movie stardom Mm -hmm. um they're everything that you 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 want in a movie star but you know they they are in the film because they are such wonderful actors and so you know it was just really it was very intentional just to build something with quality ingredients right it's like it's like i wanted to make the most wonderful dessert using the best ingredients you know um that was that was basically what we were what we were going for right okay and how much you planned with your shots did you do shot lists did you storyboards where did you think about camera angles all All the stuff i mean 
as a first film for for anyone, there are a lot of big scenes in this thing, mm-hmm. and like I had big crowd scenes, and I had. I had Huge. something approaching, you know, sort of action in 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 certain scenes, yes. you know, and it was really important to me that as a first time filmmaker who doesn't who in pre production had zero practice at this to um to get my thoughts. I think the biggest thing, the biggest help that I was given by this was the thoroughness of the pre production process, which was actually three months long. And like in my storyboard sessions with my storyboard artist, with my with my first AD and with my director of photography, the idea of just allowing me to articulate to people what I saw in my head. Mm. A, it was good training for like actually how to talk to people about what's inside of my head. Mm-hmm. B, it was actually good to investigate what was inside of my head. And C, it was really good to to sort of test whether or not what's in my head is practical or achievable given mm. the time restraints, the budget, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so we spent three months and uh, and it all happened, you know, simultaneously with location scouting and then the locations were really really helpful to help determine and like when steven goldblatt came over to start working on the film about two months before production started you know going to all the locations with him multiple times and just sort of like so we did not leave a lot to chance on this film like Mm. i think that maybe if you had a more experienced filmmaker coming in they would have maybe be able to dash it off a little faster than i did but i couldn't i didn't want to I did not want to get on set and try to like figure it out there. Does that does yes. that pose a challenge though? So you're talking about going to set and you're finding the locations from a cinematography point of view. So then how does that work in terms of rehearsals and working with actors? If you've kind of pre-planned a lot with certain ideas about scenes, like how do you fit that, the actors? I just, that? I relied on my, my theater training. And by the time we got into rehearsals, I knew what all the sets were going to be. I knew what the locations were going to be. I knew them backwards and forwards. I had, I had them tape out the, the major sets on the floor. Great. Um, I, we, we, I knew the job, the geography of every space we were going to film a major scene in, in my head. So and 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 more so, we had a sort of you know approximations of them in the room. So I had I had so much of the physical spaces in the movie in my head by the time I started rehearsing. So rehearsing for us was was a mix of just sitting around and talking about the characters and and getting especially Taylor and Nick an opportunity to get to know each other and work together. Um, but it was also just sort of like getting it on its feet and just sort of like figuring out how these two people operate in relation to each other physically. And so it was, you know, I basically approached the the making of this film as a film, but I also got to bring a lot of my theater training mm-hmm. to bear. And it, I think it really helped me. There was yeah, the, using it in a positive way to actually add to being a new time filmmaker rather than taking away from it. I just mm-hmm. didn't, I mean, I needed to make up the goal. I need to make up the gulf uh, between my desires and my knowledge. Right. Yeah. Because I knew that I was going to get on set and, I would be presented daily with new experiences. Mm-hmm. What I didn't want to be a new experience was my understanding of the scene, right? Yeah. My understanding of why the scene is in the movie, why yeah. we're shooting it, the point of the scene, what I need to get from it. Um, so the shot lists became like a nightly thing. You know, I didn't really do shot lists like weeks ahead of time. It was my, it was the way I prepared Every day, I'd get home from set, I'd have dinner, I'd hang out with my husband, play with my dog, mm-hmm. and then I would do my shot list for the next day. Yes. And um, and then invariably, you get on set and you start... And one of the great things about Stephen Goldblatt is that he 
you, he, he does shoot from the hip sometimes. So sometimes I would send him the shot list and he goes, Oh, that's sweet. And I'd be like, Steven, just look at the thing. Okay. Yeah. Just, just, just for me, Please look at it. You don't even me. need to put your glasses on. Steven. Yeah. Just yeah. look at it. Just hold it. And, your face. and, 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 but what would happen invariably is that Steven would then find a way to shoot the scene in which I was like, Oh, that's, that's number, that's number two, mm-hmm. number four and five in mm-hmm. one. Yeah. So I yeah. was like, you just reduce my shot list by three, which is probably why you didn't need to look at it in the first place mm-hmm. because you're Stephen Goldblatt and you've that's been around, yeah. you know, yes. Barry Lyndon was the first movie he worked wow. on. Wow. So, you know, yeah. I mean, he was a camera operator on that. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, but for me as a first time filmmaker, indulge me, Stephen, look at my shot list and then <laughs> like, you know, shoot from the hip and we'll reduce it. And which was great because you ended up, you know, moving a lot faster than you think you will. Mm, yeah, you do. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And and during that, like you said, then you'd go to set. And I love that you did your shot list the night before. I do that too. Even though I might have done them months before, thought about Sometimes it. Sometimes I would on the bigger things I need. Yes, because yeah. you, you need to yeah, give yeah, it to yeah. your stunt team or whoever yeah. or art team or whatever. But sometimes doing it the night before makes you really fresh. These are the scenes we're doing tomorrow. These yeah. are the shots that I think might work. And in that yeah. location. And I think that's really important. And then when you got to set, you could be free to go, yeah. well, let's play. And also, it's, it's putting too much into your head the night before as well like i mean you, you can't think about you, you obviously have to think about them at the start in pre-production of like the whole bigger picture yes. if you're thinking about like the next five or ten scenes how are we going to get this one done how are we going to do this yeah. one you you get to spread too thin mm. uh, and it's by by keeping focus it's fresh in your mind dream about it yeah. back to set the next one day of the, there. one of the things that steven and i did um, which was really helpful is that we really invested in our master shots for more mm. than just sort of setting the geography of the scene. Mm. Um, we really uh, it sort of staged them like like mini plays, and we kept the camera moving almost always in these, unless it's you know it's a scene that in which you obviously can't move, can't or don't want to move the camera. So we invested, and we would do this, the masters on different sizes. So we would like actually, I think we would uh, on bigger scenes we would shoot the master three t- three different ways, right. um, and sometimes we would shoot in, in, like in the Oval Office because mm-hmm. it's uh, you know you try shooting in a round room like there's yeah. just like it, oh my god it's got a round like, track or nothing yeah yeah and 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 it would just be like you know so much of those scenes in the in were just like master shots that were on different on different sizes mm-hmm. and then and then you're you realize that you've got most of the scene already done and then you can, you know, and one of the things that was really important to me was how much of this film, because I was looking at these old screwball comedies from the thirties. And one of the great qualities of those movies is that the actors are on in the frame together and they're just doing their thing. And they're just, and the director Mm -hmm is smart enough to know to get out of their way yeah. and oh, don't yeah. mess with them. Yeah. Don't mess if with them. If you don't them. need to. If you don't need to. And mm. I had actors who were really adept at that. Mm. And so I found in, you know, as I was shooting and then later as I was cutting, like those, those master shots that we were getting that Steven and I started to get, as soon as we realized that that was going to be our filmmaking language, mm-hmm. we started to get really ambitious about them. Things started, things started to go off the track and onto the, the, um, on, on, onto Steadicam. Yeah. We were doing more in masters than we thought we were going to be able to do. We were, we were running whole scenes and they were visually really interesting. We did things that I thought I needed to do, like four or five different setups. We got in one. There are so many scenes in the film that we get in one. And there were occasional 
scenes where I didn't even need to go in for coverage. We had it. We and knew it we had the it. actors, right? Oh my God. They had so much fun because they just didn't have to compartmentalize their performances. Mm-hmm. They could just be. And I mean, there are very few people in this film who don't have stage experience and that helps too, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so again, coming from the theater, I got to like do little mini plays and then, and then, um, one we just started to get really cocky i mean it worked out well for us but we were like let's just do as many wonders as we possibly can in this movie and let's just let's just like and we had one of the best camera operators in all of england which is Mm -hmm. Pete cavaciuti and like Mm -hmm. he's like you know he's one of the great um and so he's wonderful yeah 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 (laughs) and so we just you know we just we got to play and we got to really invent on set. And so that was, that was really, that was a beautiful learning experience for me is it's just to, again, you go in with a plan mm-hmm. and then the plan changes in, yep. in favor of a better idea. And usually that better, sometimes that better idea costs you time, but it's a better idea and you've got to go for it. Yep. And then sometimes that better idea actually saves you time. And usually the better idea ends up saving you time. Yeah, absolutely. Moving masters are my favorite. It's just yeah. so much fun because you can rehearse with the actors beforehand, think about this. Ah, oh, and then you get it and you're like, Oh my God, we, we've actually covered yeah. Yeah. It, most of this. If I ever got into trouble, trouble on yeah. set it was because i didn't do the master first there, there you go and like for whatever wow. reason lighting whatever if i you know if like uh it just and and i was like ugh, you know it always it uh, it always felt as though the scene took longer than it needed to yes. if you don't start with the master well because you're restrictive if you do your single first on someone and, yeah. and if it's a crying scene yeah. i get it sometimes you might need to do that yeah. or an emotional scene but then you're restricted because you've kind of yeah. locked off the actor yeah, and the it. camera that yeah. was the thing with, that was the thing you know with Uma one of the things that you yes. know I was told I was like you know she's a movie star you know you just like get her stuff first da, 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 da. and I was like yeah yeah I get it I get it I mean and and <laughs> and then like after the first day with Uma I was like oh she and I are getting along so well I basically just said to her I'm like Uma I re- this is what I want to do every day are you, are you what do you cool think it. and she's like oh god please let's do that that's better for me anyway. Mm. So uh, I was like, you know, that was, and also you just, you get so lucky as to have someone like Uma who's so mm. chill about that stuff. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. obviously she, once we are going in for singles, she goes first, you know, but, yeah. um, um, I told, I told insist. Taylor, I told, <laughs> I told Taylor, I told Taylor, she doesn't need to insist. No, I told no, Taylor, it was hilarious. I said, I like, look, you know, Uma came in on like week five and six and I Taylor who plays her son. Mm-hmm. I said, look, you're going to, you know, you are, you are in pretty much every scene in this movie. You're going to be the, you know, there's going to be, um, just, you're going to be working all the time and then Uma's going to show up and then we're going to have <laughs> lovely images of the back of your head for two weeks. Yes. Except yes. that we'll be focusing yes. on that. It's like, it's like you're suddenly going to be like the the cat it's like I, I remember there being a camera on the set where did it go I'm like it's behind you darling yeah. <laughs> we'll come back to oh, you classic. later yeah. uh, probably next week but for now just go exactly. with it remember your performance please yeah. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What did you deal with then with actors and performances? You seem like you're fantastic with them. What was your technique or things where you weren't happy with the performance? Or there's something, like you said, often you let the actors go with the flow and yeah. just find those moments. What did you do to I mean, talk, pull a performance out? I think largely it was just, I, I, 
I had very prepared actors who came on set. I think one of the things that I was able to lean on in my, I mean, I really used that whole I'm from theater thing to the hilt. I was like, I'm from theater. We really, you know, I like... It's performance. Yeah, it's performance. I like, I like, you know, no I really, I really want you to come in so off book that <laughs> it's like, you yeah. know, a backwards, yeah. like you could do it as a play. Yeah. I really yeah. want, I really want in you theater, to. In theater, everyone's off and, book. you know, in theater, I'm from theater. I'm from theater. I should get a t-shirt. I'm from theater. I'm from theater. Um, no, I'm from I, theater. You know, and, but I, I, I did. And I was like, but I, I did start to let them know that like, look, we're really investing in these wonders. So, so don't learn it in the makeup chair. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And they were all like really eager for that. And mm. so I first had a great group of actors who were all really prepared every day, which was very helpful. And uh, then I just think they were so well cast. And I don't, I mean, that's, you know, uh, Kelly and Rich, my two casting directors, uh, mm-hmm. have yeah. so much, so like deserve so much credit for this film. Um, that there was just not a lot of daylight between the people in their roles. And then I think too, that like inevitably you just, you know, it's, it's no different. The only difference between it in my training in theater in terms of working with actors is that in theater, you know, if, if it's a bad night, you come back tomorrow and you have a better night and yeah. film, I'm like, oh, I can't really go anywhere until we get this right. So if it's a bad um, night. You're going to come back and it's expensive. Yeah. Look, I, I had enough of a rapport <laughs> and a level of trust with my actors that inevitably, if something wasn't working, I just sat down with them and I just mm. said, this isn't working here. It's here. I think is why it isn't working. What is going on? What is in your head that is causing you to do this? Because it's not helping you. And I just, I think I earned their trust enough to, at the end of the day, just be honest with them and cut through all the bullshit and just simply say, it's not working. Here's why. Let's try something else. And, and like, mm-hmm. ultimately, like, I hope one day I'm certain I will have to work with an actor whom you can't say that to. Mm-hmm. But I hope it's not for a while because what I also love about this, these actors were so eager to serve the story and serve the characters that if I ever said to them, it isn't working they were like, well, how do I make it work better? Yeah. You know? and, and how much of that is improvisation and how much is kind of working through their motivations? Like on the set, how much do you stick to the script? I, we stuck to the script. Really stuck to the script? We stuck okay. to the script. So it's like, finding it was the, really the, important. The subtext, That's really. what the rehearsals were for. Like yeah. it wasn't just Taylor and Nick. It was as many of the actors as, as we could get into town early. Mm. And what I said to them all is like, these two weeks are your time to question, challenge, change, do whatever you want. We, it is like an open source code. We, we, we can tear it apart and build it again in these two weeks. Whatever, whatever is going to help you in your performance, whatever you're unclear about, whatever's hard to say, tell me now. You have two weeks mm-hmm. to speak because when we get on set, this thing is locked mm-hmm. and I have a script supervisor who is a terrier and I am going to sick her on you. Wow. And, but they all had warning. They were like, yeah. you've got, you've got these two idyllic weeks of playtime mm-hmm. and then we're going to get on set and it's work time so that no one can complain that they, that they didn't have time to, um, acclimate themselves to a scene like we all did our homework on this together so mm-hmm. that no on set while I very much encouraged play and I very much encouraged let's do a version where we're just really sort of like don't worry about it mm-hmm. like because because we're not doing a kind of comedy that is that rewards sort of that um 
that like who knows what's going to come out of our mouths right and we're also not doing a drama where like uh, fidelity to the text is not as important as fidelity to the emotions mm. uh which i could also see being true mm. with this we are actually doing a very tightly scripted screwball comedy yes. the yes. likes of which we you know you don't get to see a lot of and the mm. words are very important and yeah. so um and i firmly believe that actually actors usually end up finding themselves in trouble when they're actually not on their lines. If you're not on your lines, mm-hmm. you're thinking about your lines. You're not thinking about the, moment, the, you, moment, the emotions. Yeah. You're not mm-hmm. thinking about the other person in the scene. Yeah. You're thinking about, oh God, what's my next line? You're thinking about the surface layer, not the subtext. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I said, the more we can be uh, sort of have fidelity to the text, the more you can know it backwards and forwards, the free, there's actually the reverse of what most sort of I th- also new, younger actors probably would think which is like oh I'm going to come in I'm going to kind of know it um, and I'm like yeah. that's where you get into trouble yes you you there's so much freedom in knowledge of the text I love that and you being the writer as well could actually you know you're literally like no, no we're can't in- talk about that yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> knew, I knew I yeah. knew I knew when yeah. when when they when oh, there was just a day when someone came in and they weren't so on it um, and inevitably with either Nick or Taylor they had so much work to do you know mm, inevitably they go home and they crash and they don't look at the scene the yeah. night before mm. and they learn it in the chair mm. I get it I am not unsympathetic to that but you could always tell on those days like you're struggling, yeah. you're struggling, yeah. and you're struggling because you don't know the scene. Yeah, and yeah. you're tired, and you haven't yeah. slept, or you've gone yeah, out, or exactly. well, you shouldn't have. Yeah, you, this yeah. is only for how long did you shoot for, by the way? Nine weeks. Nine weeks. Okay, yeah, it's only nine weeks. Just for this nine weeks, and they were. And I will get say, on I mean, it. those those moments were rare, and yeah, I think those, are, and you could see the whites of their eyes too mm. whenever they were yeah. like, "Oh God." This is not my best day. The script yeah. supervisor's yeah, going to yeah, kill yeah. me. I'm like, and I looked at her, I'm like, Irene, get him. And, <laughs> and, but it's like, but you could see the whites in their eyes when they mm. just knew they weren't connecting or clicking. Mm. The other thing that I was taught very early by Stephen Goldblatt, which was, which he was like a font of wisdom, because he worked with Mike Nichols. Yeah. And right. um, he said to me, if you're ever, uh, if your back's against the wall, if you're not getting what you need from the actor, if the actor is struggling or you're not being able to communicate with the actor effectively, clear the set and rehearse. Mm. Stop what you're doing, mm-hmm. clear the set and rehearse. Yeah. I rarely ever had to do that, but on the few occasions when I did, mm. and it was every time I did it, it was just because you could just, the, the actor was just sort of, um, Stiffening up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. just, they just lost the thread, you know? And then, and then there's pressure because like, oh God, we're on take yeah. seven, we're down, we're on take eight. And, mm-hmm. and, I'm in, and then on the rare occasions, I just said, all right, everybody, why don't we just, everybody take, go get a tea. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's leave us alone. And you hit the reset button and inevitably all that tension goes out of their bodies, yeah. out of their voices. Yeah. You come back and you get it on the next one. I love that. That's really good tip that actually yeah it really does make a yeah, difference you get in the pan, and then it's like the, the focus puller is like staring at you and the, mm. you know, no and like, you're like and 15 then, people doing checks every time they're like right we're going for take 232 yeah yeah, yeah. and of course then it, on the few occasions i would do that my, my my first ad would like look at me and tap his watch and i'm like yeah. and <laughs> i learned <laughs> and Stephen was right you will save time by taking time sometimes yeah. yes absolutely it's so true rushing it's like no we're not gonna go makeup checks so mm-hmm. we're gonna sort of power through it and, and actually oh, God, just the check i learned that was the other thing yeah. I, I did learn, okay i there was a, a newbie sort of like i kept i, I would cut at the end of, and then and my first um ben lanning yeah, my yeah. first said you don't have to cut every time you know this and i was yeah. like i didn't know this yeah. tell me more i'm from theater i don't know and he's like he's like just just reset 
just yeah. reset. Yeah. And, and they're not going to come anywhere near the actors. Yeah. And I'm like, really? Because yeah. these checks, I don't think they are necessary every single time. They, and, and so it's finding like, the balance, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Reset. And I was like, reset. Reset. Good. We're yeah. going again straight away. Going again straight away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes a difference because the actors are in the zone. Yeah. They're in the zone. Everyone's in the yeah, yeah, And yeah. they go, I can get it. I can get it. I'm yeah. there. I'm there. I learned that. I learned mm-hmm. that trick on like day five. And I was like, right. I was like, day it took five. you five days to tell me this, Ben. Because, well, I don't know. You kept cutting. And I was like, oh, God. Why is he cutting again? Go through the two minute process and get speeding again. Sometimes longer. Yeah, yeah. It can take ages. Yeah, I love that with actors. You They're in the zone and you just want to keep going and play yeah. and it's yeah. great it's great advice i'm yeah, glad yeah, yeah. we said that uma yeah. uma's very good at that uma's very okay. good at that like um she she you know you know uma uma knows to let them do the work on on her that that they they feel they need to between yes. between takes but she's just like if it's not net let's just keep let's just keep going let's just keep going which is great because unless you've done something that you needs to be reset like yeah. someone's drank something or they've yeah. eaten yeah. something faces or melted faces off. melted off yeah. sure the hair's yeah, come yeah, up because yeah. the wind sure yeah. but if it's not you're in a studio you're, you're yeah. i actually calm. started the, i realized that i just started cutting consumables from the plan i was like don't they don't need a drink in the scene like cut that cut that but yeah. uh, about week three, I was like, "Oh, you I'm gonna, yeah. yeah." I was like, "Do they need to be it. drinking? They don't get yeah. cut the drink. Do they need to be smoking? Well, no, yours, no. There's only yeah. one cigarette in the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but do they need? Oh God, the day, there's yeah. a cigarette and a cigar. Can I just tell you something? Yes, I <laughs> have thought twice about ever needing to do a scene with a cigar in it. Ah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I yeah, can I just one. like like yeah. warn everyone yeah, if cigar any first time can i warn any first time filmmaker who mm-hmm. might be listening to this podcast it is is less even the continuity it's the stink ah, i yeah, yeah. could yes. like i could live with stephen fry smoking a cigarette in my movie for mm-hmm. a few for a few things for a yeah. few takes like that was okay because he sh- but there's a scene in the movie where where cliff collins <laughs> is smoking a cigar he's and he's crying. smoking a cigar the entire scene yeah. and what i didn't occur to me was that he would be smoking that cigar for five or six hours, oh, you'd all be smoking it. it oh. That yeah, soundstage yeah. reeked right. of cigar smoke, yeah. and I was like, I finished that, and I was like, never again. Yeah. I am never putting it's a just cigar. No need. I'm just yeah. no never. Need. It was great for the character. It yeah. looks great sure. in the movie. Looks cool. it's, it's a really good yeah. introduction to the to to who yeah. this character. It's this first scene of the movie. Put it it's out. actually <laughs> really good for the yeah. character to be to see smoking the cigar. But I came home. Stinking. I was like, I, yeah. I can't even imagine. At least Cliff was in a costume and he got home and changed. But like, yeah, yeah, I was yeah. like, never again am I yeah, putting yeah. a cigar in one of my movies. So uh, listen, Matthew, you mentioned uh, locations before and finding all these amazing locations, right? Talk us through, because I wasn't sure where you'd shot everything. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if you had shot anywhere else apart from where I thought you shot, which was just the UK. Yeah. Talk me through where you did, because these locations are fantastic. Mm, yeah. You're they obviously in the great. presidential suite at the Oval Office. Obviously you shot there. <laughs> yes, Biden was very nice. Yes. Shoot, shoot which was weekends. nice. He was yeah. busy. He was uh, off yeah, doing yeah. something Abiding else. by what you were saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very um, good. Yeah, I mean, this whole movie was shot in England. It like, was. Okay. Everything. Great. Right. I'm glad and I just got that. Mm-hmm. Because there is an Oval Office, I know, down south at my they were friend's house. Charles' president, presidential suite. Yes, it, it was my being, house. It was being used there. We actually one of the first things that the producers did was look into all the different Oval Offices. There's uh-huh. one in Burbank. Yeah. Uh, T- Tyler Perry has one in Atlanta. Yeah. Tyler, I yeah. think there's one in Toronto, mm-hmm. and then there is one in. Liverpool? Yes, there's one in Liverpool. Yeah. And one in Scotland. Yes, but okay. I think there's another one. 
down somewhere near here. Well, they were all booked. Ah, they were okay. all booked. Right. Uh, okay, yeah. And busy, busy uh, presidential. Yeah, we yeah. did not. We there was th- we knew we needed to film here in in England, mm. and so uh, Burbank was really kind of out of the question, and so we just built our own Oval Office. Oh, you built? We it? built it. We built from scratch wow. our own Oval Office. Um, I was going to say, did you have removable walls where you yeah. could have got the we, camera? Back? We didn't have removable walls. We just the the actually. The oval that we built was about 15% larger than the real one. Good. Or yes. maybe 20% yeah, larger than the real sense. one. So we just, we were able to just, yeah, the, we, yeah. we, yeah. That POTUS. Yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> so we were actually able to get uh, any equipment in there that we wanted to. Um, but yeah, so we built, we built the oval. We built um, Alex's bedroom. We built, what else did we build, Mark? We built um, a couple of, Mark's racking his Mark's brain. Mark's racking his brain. Oh, no it's a year idea. ago. But most of this film was done on location. The, the, the cigar scene, the, the Truman mm-hmm. balcony we built. Um, but almost everything in the White House that is official, mm-hmm. we had to build. Right. Um, then we went to uh, locations around London for a lot of the interiors for Kensington Palace and Buckingham Palace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that we were in Goldsmith's Hall for the banquet, the, for the opening, the wedding scene. Yeah, good place for a banquet. But it was, it was, the biggest challenge was shooting America here and yeah. Texas in particular because you think that Texas, and I was convinced. Well, it's Stephen, the scale, isn't it, as well? Yeah, yeah Stephen yeah. and I were convinced we were going to need to do reshoots in Texas. Sure. We were convinced that we were going to have to go and do a Texas unit mm-hmm. and we were so wrong about that. Like, there's yeah. there's not a single shot of this movie that wasn't made in England. Not a not a single. There are some, wow. there are some stock footage in there, of course, you know. Sure. But, um, How, not, well, Par- London for Paris, London for Austin, Texas, London mm-hmm. for... England for everything. So how did you do the Austin, Texas bits? Because I'm like, where did you shoot there's, So there's a place in, uh, it's a, an airstrip in far west London called White Waltham. It's not even in London. It's outside of London. Waltham, uh, right? w- White Waltham. And it's an airstrip. So we did like, there's a couple of scenes um, on an airstrip in the mm-hmm. movie. There's all the airplane scenes we mm-hmm. shot there because they have like interiors of, of planes. Mm. Um but the area surrounding it, the property itself, yeah. is really utilitarian looking. Mm-hmm. And when we were scouting it, my my location, uh, my location manager was like, "There's a lot here that you could use for the, for a lot of the Texas stuff." And mm-hmm. so we just so so okay. that sequence where Alex is campaigning in Texas, there's uh-huh. he goes to a barbecue. He's just like at a shipping container place by the port of Houston, which we said that that was where that was. Yeah. All that stuff was. In uh, in this this area wow. uh, near this airstrip, wow, yeah, mm-hmm. and um, and then a couple, and then like we shot at a house in Kent for the uh, for Alex's family's uh, mm-hmm. country home. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got a lot of mileage out of out of England for Texas. I really didn't think it was possible, but That's nobody impressive. who I've shown the movie to who knows Texas thinks doubted it. Th- doubted it. Yeah. It's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, that's great. Location, but now it's so funny yeah. because like we're watching my husband and I are catching up on on um on the bear and we were watching oh, just last finished night, that last night don't tell me i am I'm, yeah, yeah. last night i just saw the the, the <laughs> so episode good, where marcus goes to um copenhagen yeah and oh yeah and yeah. and so and now i've of course become the cynic now so my husband wow they went to Copenhagen. like they didn't go yeah, to copenhagen. yeah. yeah. That, yeah. yeah. That, that's chicago for copenhagen yeah. trust yeah, yeah, yeah. me and but yeah. it's a you know you get a good location scout and you get a good location manager and mm-hmm. you can and a production designer and you can you can make anything look like anything you can yeah, cheat yeah. anything during yeah. that time then in that prep process 
because it's it's daunting for a first time filmmaker. It's daunting for any filmmaker. But we like you like you said, you're going. Surely we're going to reshoot this. Surely we're going to do it. What was going through your head and the mental process, like the mental health during that time? Nine week shoot. You going through all that, doing it. it's a long process. Mm-hmm. What did you do to help that? It sounds like you went home to your husband and your dog and you relaxed. Talk us through that a little bit about that process for filmmakers. Oh God, um, it. I actually am really. I think I'm built for it in that I I love to cocoon and I love I'm very good at self protection mm-hmm. and preserving energy. So I lived a little monk existence, you know. Mm-hmm. It was you know up early, go to bed early. I would come home at night, and um, it was an English summer, so we had lots of daylight, you know. Not and this so, summer. Not this summer. Uh, <laughs> we had we had um, we had no rain, high heat, um, which is oh, fine. Yeah, you, had the, you had the super summer. We yeah. had the super summer last year, and but no um, rain is good. Yeah. No rain was very no good. Rain, it was yeah. bad for the grass, but good for the um, mm-hmm. good, for, for the good for filming. Yeah. And it was very some hot days outside, mm. but I would come home and eat an early dinner play with we would take we live at the time we were living near primrose hill so we would oh, take lovely. the dog out yeah. to play yeah. get home watch an episode of something oh you would you yeah, actually yeah yeah, yeah. I, would need to. I would need wow. to i would need to i would usually like do my shot list sometimes i would do my shot list actually i would just maintain the energy of the day and do my shot list in the car ride home at, mm-hmm. when i was leaving set just because i would love to get it out of the way if i could but then like yeah watch it up we watched last summer we watched the old man Oh yeah, that okay. show with um with Jeff Bridges, mm-hmm. um, and that was really great to watch over the course of of, of the filmmaking. Yeah, um, watch a couple of different things, and then yeah, get to bed really super early That's before. I, I felt like a kid again. Time. I was like going yeah. to bed before the sun went down. I've always I've always felt that's like such a big thing for me is instead of like feeling that you have to entertain yourself and you know spend a lot of time sometimes it's not about massively over preparing for the next day it's just literally getting a good night's sleep the best way to prepare for the so day ahead switched is on. Just to be rested because yeah. if you're slow and you're you know you're you're, you're tired it yeah. doesn't matter how much prep you've done you're not going to be able to make decisions yeah. and i i would i actually relish that time i actually really really because i'm not naturally an early riser uh i'm a, mm-hmm. I'm a night right. owl yeah. and yeah. and so but I actually really loved it to get up at, at five thirty, six in the cool. morning, you know, getting me at five thirty, having a morning um before I left for set, mm. uh, while the husband and dog are still sleeping. And yeah, yeah. uh yeah, it was good. And we also were dealing with we also in addition to it being dry and hot, there was a COVID outbreak in England last July while yep. we were filming. Wow. And it so it got us too. So we actually shut down for about eight or nine days. Mm-hmm. And I was the only person among all the principals to not get COVID during wow. that thing. We lost Must a number cocooning. of actors. We lost a number yeah. of actors and quite a number of our crew mm-hmm. and key crew at that. And th- I was the, really the only one who didn't get it. And so then I became Bubble Boy. And th- I, I got, I, so my, my producer sat me down and she's like, so no more movies, no more theater, no mm-hmm. more interior, no more restaurants inside for the rest of the shoot. We can't afford to lose you because mm-hmm. we're coming back from this COVID shutdown. So in addition to all that, I then like, I had no life because on the weekends I was bubble boy. Oh, right. I see. Yes. Right, right. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. it was 
You yeah. know, it was nine weeks, and yeah. actually, it was you somewhat it. weirdly, yeah. bizarrely pleasurable. Yeah, mm-hmm. to just sort of like compression time. Yeah, yeah. like I, oh, I'm sorry, I can't see you. I'm in COVID. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I'm not a big fan of that anywhere. Like, I know there's obviously like there's times when you want to bond with your crew and your your cast and stuff, but like I really do think it's important when you've been asked a billion questions in a day to just chill out and and not have like lots of like mental energy at the end of a long shoot day. I'm generally very social with within the teams that I'm working with, yeah. but on this one, I was just like, I like I because I come I I'm from theater. <laughs> I um, you know, the you go out. We don't socialize really afterwards in theater. Yeah. Um, yeah, like you know, you go out, you go to yeah. the pub, you go to the bar if you're in New York City. You know, mm. you do like, and I I I was like, I did become one of those directors who like the second we wrap. Yeah, I am out of here in the car. Yeah, and I, yeah. Like, yeah. like, we God. just chat about. Tomorrow. He's gone. Bye. He is gone. <laughs> that was one of the. That was one of the pleasures of filmmaking that I definitely yeah. indulged in. Cool. Yeah. Let's talk about um, the edit side of it then, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the post. And how did that change for you? Because you'd never done it before. Yeah, everything is my favorite part while I'm doing it, but um, I'm. It's not I love. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I loved post. I really loved editing the film. I for me. I was finally alone with my movie, do you know? And I finally got to just sort of see what I had. And, um, the, I love the deliberative nature of, of, of editing. I, I think because I'm a writer, there's something very, very similar to, it is writing. Editing is writing, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I got to, um, I mean, I there are so many different versions of this film that exist on a hard drive somewhere, mm-hmm. and <laughs> and like I love my favorite thing is being wrong. I love being wrong. Being wrong is like mm. so sexy. I just <laughs> love it. And it's just like your assumptions. You you just your assumptions. You say, oh well, obviously I need that scene. Yeah. Obviously I can't cut that scene. Mm-hmm. I, there's one. I, I there's one scene in the movie that everybody told me to cut, and I was like, we're gonna film it. It belongs in the movie. It belongs in the movie. And I watched the assembly <laughs> and I was like, well, obviously we're cutting that. <laughs> and I, I love being wrong. So that, I mean, the editing process in, for this was, was so that was the greatest learning curve mm. for me. Like after, after three days on set, I had the hang of being on a set mm-hmm. and it was just basically another in a series of what is today's challenge. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's all based on sort of the same sort of formula on, um, on in the editing process, it was like I have infinite choices now. I, I mean, infinite yeah. choices of the things that I have, and like this movie could go in any different direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved the challenge of that. I loved the infinite possibilities of it. Mm-hmm. If there was one bit of advice you could offer yourself, maybe starting out in that leap from theater to film, what might it be? I wish. I going off your last question. I wish I had sat. I was offered the chance and I took it to sit on, on some, be on set with some people before ah, I, yeah. I wish I had sat in on an edit. Mm, okay. What I will say is that when we were in that like eight or nine day COVID shutdown, I just went and started cutting the movie. Like mm. my editor was already assembling. Mm. So, Perfect. so, so I went and she and I, for a week, we just started putting together the opening of the film. Great. And I learned so much in those, then in that week. Mm. And when I came back to set, having cut the movie, having had a little experience cutting the movie, it changed how I shot. Mm. Brilliant. If there was anything I could tell a first time filmmaker is 
forget going to sets sets whatever that's just it that's just that's what you think is fun what you need to know before you make a movie is how to cut one Mm. if you can know how to cut a movie then you know how to make a movie cool never heard that one before that's good no i like love that, that one yeah. love it that's great listen matthew thank you so yeah, much thank for your you, time great this chat. has been incredible um red white and royal blue is out now on amazon go watch it uh you'll really enjoy it and if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well it's your duty to send the elevator back down uh, we will see you all next tuesday as always matthew thank you thank you thank you Real pleasure take care everyone Bye-bye. bye bye bye